Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I want to share with you guys our favorite toothpaste that the entire family uses. It's called Risewell, and Risewell is a fluoride-free toothpaste that has all non-toxic, safe ingredients, so it's even safe if swallowed, which makes it perfect for young children. I love Risewell because... Unlike some of the other natural and non-toxic toothpastes on the market, Risewell contains an ingredient called hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral that actually has been scientifically proven to strengthen and protect our teeth without the use of fluoride. You can save 10% now with the code KULIK10 when you go to risewell.com. And again, that code is KULIK, K-U-L-I-K-10. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I am so pumped to have an amazing dentist on to talk to us about holistic oral health, um, talking to us about some common myths and misconceptions. We're we're covering a lot of information. I think y'all are going to really find this episode super interesting and super helpful. So we have the honor of having Dr. Stacey Whitman on the podcast today. As a holistic oral health educator, the founder of NOPO Kids Dentistry and the founder of Happy Floss, Dr. Stacey Whitman is on a mission to create a cavity-free world. With her extensive education in both conventional dentistry as well as functional health, Dr. Stacy is a trailblazer for holistic and preventative dentistry for both kids and adults. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Dr. Stacy. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you join me today, Dr. Stacy. Um, Dr. Stacy and I were just talking a little bit before I started recording, and I have been following Dr. Stacy on Instagram for a while, and I was telling her that she just gives the best information out. You know, I feel like there is this shift happening um, within like the health and wellness world, and people are really starting to realize how important the mouth and oral hygiene and the oral microbiome and everything is to overall health and wellness. So would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit, telling us a little bit about your background? And can you also tell us what is functional dentistry and how is it different than maybe like a more conventional dentistry approach that some people might be more used to? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, Taylor. Um, And thank you for following along. I really enjoy content creation and education. So that's been a really fun way to reach more people. I agree with you. I'm so glad you feel this way too. There is a shift happening. Um, I'm seeing it, I'm feeling it, but we do know now more than ever how critical oral health is to over overall health and systemic wellness. So I'd love that more people are becoming engaged and following along and learning about the importance of oral health. Um, but I am Dr. Stacey Whitman. I'm a board certified pediatric dentist and I practice in Portland, Oregon. Um, I've been a practicing dentist for 15 years. 
And um, I would say for about half of that, I've practiced a more holistic, functional uh, manner and practice model. And essentially what that means is, and you, you know, I was trained traditionally like all dentists were, and I think that's a very important um, concept to, to say to the listeners, you have to be trained traditionally. I mean, it is very important to blend um, more functional concepts with more traditional concepts. But uh, I just, I wasn't finding satisfaction in my career. I didn't feel like I was truly making a change in patients' lives. And I felt like I wasn't getting to the root cause. And that's what functional either medicine or dentistry is. It's really getting to the root cause of issues and understanding how everything in the body is interconnected um, and taking more of a whole body approach, including not only physical health, but emotional and mental health too. And that's a huge component at the dentist because there is so much dental fear and dental phobia and dental anxiety. Um, and that is all that all needs to be taken into consideration when you're coming up with a treatment plan. Um, but functional dentistry, it really focuses a lot on the oral microbiome, as we spoke about before, and we'll get into that a bit more, but also airway and sleep health, um, diet and nutrition, and just general uh, wellness and how everything is interconnected. That's awesome. I would love to have a separate podcast episode with you on each of those topics that you just discussed. Because like I said earlier, before we started recording, I have a really hard time deciding what I want to pick your brain about because there's so much we could talk about, um, but we have a short window. So can you just, you talked about the oral microbiome. Could you just explain to us a little bit more about what that is and why it's important? Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of people are quite familiar with the gut microbiome now, um, or at least the importance of gut health. You know, that really blew up about a decade ago, and we're realizing how critical the, our, you know, our digestive system, our GI tract, our gut health overall is to our overall wellness, both with immune function and neurotransmitters and, you know, helps create fat soluble vitamins. It helps with bioavailability, absorption of nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we are learning more and more about the importance of the oral microbiome. And what that is, is the, the microbes that reside in your mouth. You know, we are more bacterial and microbial cells than we are human cells, which is wild to think about. But we have, you know, the past many decades, it's been this, um, this these concepts have been taught to disinfect and sterilize and kill and destroy. And we're realizing that has not been the right move. We are stripping our microbiomes and they have very important roles in our bodies. And in our mouths, especially, they really do keep harmony and balance. They help with the remineralization process and nutrient absorption. Um, they send, you know, signals. There's all kinds of things our oral microbiome does, but the bacteria in our mouths, they're not all harmful. They're not all negative. Or as I say to the kids, they're not all bad guys. We have a lot of good guys and beneficial bacteria in our mouths that we really need to be nourishing and supporting. And now we're learning more too about how the oral microbiome affects the gut microbiome and how they actually might be communicating to each other. And also that gum disease, periodontal disease, if we're in dysbiosis, which means if there is more pathogenic bacteria residing in our mouths, that those bacteria 
can travel all over our body and cause systemic issues from uh, Alzheimer's to diabetes, to cardiovascular disease, to pregnancy complications, rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune diseases, even cancer. Um, the list goes on and on and we're discovering more and more about it. But you know, the mouth really is the gateway to the body it is the start of the digestive tract and it, it's a nice place to look in the human body. We can see inside our bodies in our mouths. You can't open up your gut and look inside your gut, but you can in your mouth. And so if things are falling apart, if you have inflammation, bleeding gums, rampant decay, you know, all of these things are a sign that there is something out of balance in your whole body, not just your mouth. You know, things don't just stay in the mouth. It's all interconnected. And so we really need to be shifting our mindset into killing, disinfecting, destroying, and instead thinking of nurturing, supporting, and nourishing our oral microbiomes. I love that. It's such a, such a paradigm shift and, and really for all, all, all parts of like health and wellness, getting to the root cause, um, understanding that the whole body is interconnected. Um, can you tell us, and especially for parents, so obviously it's probably, there's probably a bit of overlap between um, like what parents would do or adults would do versus what children should do for their oral health. But since this is a, a podcast specifically geared towards parents, yeah. specifically parents of young children, what big tips, major tips would you give parents for supporting their babies and their children's oral health and microbiome? Yeah, great questions. There is a ton of overlap too. So a lot of these things I speak of, they can be applied to you as the parent or older members of the family as well. Um, but essentially your, your microbiome, your oral microbiome starts, um, I mean, in theory, even before a mother gets pregnant, but let's just say in utero. So it is really important to be nurturing yourself and eating um, nourishing foods, fat soluble vitamins, rest, hydration, trace minerals, like really taking care of yourself when you're pregnant. And then ideally, you know, this is perfect world. And so there's perfect textbook. I'm just, we're just talking about how to have the best microbiome possible. And then there's real life, right? So ideally having a vaginal birth, that is you know, where we first are exposed to a microbiome, our mother's microbiome. If that can't happen, there are things you can do if you have a cesarean where you can ask your provider to seed your baby's mouth with your microbiome, your vaginal secretions. Um, breastfeeding is incredibly important for the microbiome, that skin on skin. Um, that is, so these are some of the first exposures your babies have. Um, but food introduction is incredibly important too. So what we are first introducing to our children shapes their palate, but it can also form their microbiomes. And so the way I explain it to kids is the good guys, they love eat the rainbow foods. Okay. So our healthy beneficial bacteria, they love prebiotic fiber. So they want veggies and fruits. Okay. That's what they eat. Um, our bad guys are negative pathogenic bacteria. They love fermentable carbohydrates. And that means sugars, flours, ultra processed foods. So crackers, pretzels, cereals, bars, that is what those bacteria feed on. So if we're not feeding our pathogenic bacteria, they can't 
they can't overtake our mouths essentially. Um, so food introduction is really important. Trying to introduce whole foods and whether you're baby led weeding or purees or kind of a blend of both, which, you know, that's what I did. Cause again, real life is real life, but a diverse uh, food introduction is really important. The other thing too that many parents don't realize is how we breathe affects our microbiome also. And so people who mouth breathe, they tend to have more dysbiosis or pathogenic bacteria. And the reason is when we mouth breathe, our, our oral tissues dry out. So our saliva dissipates and our saliva has many, many healthy beneficial proteins and enzymes, things that keep us in balance, keep our teeth uh, moist and mineralized. Also the pH drops in your mouth when you're mouth breathing and pathogenic bacteria love acid. So if there's a low pH and acidic pH, they can thrive. And so nasal breathing is really critical. And so observing your baby um, right after birth, how are they breathing? Is their mouth open or is it closed? And this is when you can get into, do they have a tongue tie or oral restrictions? Is there a jaw relationship discrepancy? But some of the best things to help facial formation, jaw development, and to ensure nasal breathing are things like breastfeeding and offering whole foods that we have to chew a lot. You know, chewing is really important for facial development. Um, and now modern society, we're eating so many soft packaged foods, purees, things where we don't have to chew. And so we're not getting ideal facial development too. And that can lead to some orthodontic issues and that can potentially lead to mouth breathing as well. So, you know, if you can have a vaginal birth, that's ideal. If not, don't stress. If you can breastfeed, that's ideal. If you can't, don't stress. We just wanna keep trying to hit it up later down the road. So then introducing really great whole foods, um, fruits and veggies, making sure your child's nasal breathing. And then also the products we use are incredibly important. And so many conventional dental products, they're marketed to you know kill 99.9% .9 of bacteria. And there's astringents and alcohols and emulsifiers and surfactants and all of these additives and chemicals and things that are destroying our oral microbiome. And so we really need a paradigm shift. And it's that whole less is more concept and trying to get into cleaner, more non-toxic and more nourishing um, ingredients and products too is really important. Those are such good tips. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I talk about um, the mouth breathing aspect of this and the oral ties aspect of this all the time, because what I do, I'm a holistic sleep specialist. So it, it impacts a lot of children and babies, um, and adults, but, um, and so almost every podcast guest I have on here, I feel like we always somehow circle back to that mouth breathing issue because it is such a huge issue that can impact so many aspects of yeah. a child's health and development. So it's so, so important. And it's so frustrating to me because, Every day I get messages and emails um, from parents who are being dismissed by their pediatrician who says mouth breathing isn't a big deal. It's fine. It's normal. I know. Um, it's so frustrating. We need to more education for pediatricians. You know, I think about this a lot too, because I hear this all the time as well. It, it's it's hard. So it's a silent epidemic. I mean, it, it I I feel like almost every child now has some sort of 
airway or malocclusion, which is the way your bite and jaws are formed issue. I mean, it's really rare to see a human that doesn't. And there's a really great book called Breath by James Nestor, if people are interested in this. Um, you know, you can rabbit hole down this pretty easily. It's pretty fascinating stuff, but uh, humans are dis-evolving. We are shrinking. Our skulls are getting smaller and our jaws are getting smaller. And as a result, our airways are getting smaller. And so that this is why you hear parents say, well, everybody needs braces now. Well, why is that? You know, ancestral humans didn't have orthodontists. You go to like the Natural History Museum and you look at our ancestors' skulls they're huge and wide, broad jaws. They had room for all their teeth, all their wisdom teeth, nice wide airways. You know, it, the, the scholars are, are attributing this to the agricultural and um, industrialized revolution. So when we started harvesting grains and milling them and uh, making flowers and adding sugar into everything, that's when we saw an uptick in facial changes, also allergies, which affects the way we breathe, asthma, and cavities. You know, cavities were not that common 10, 12,000 years ago, and it's it's what we're eating. And so um, these sleep issues in kids, I mean, I think to some degree, pediatricians are overwhelmed. They don't, we don't have the resources to be referring all of these kids to see ENTs and myofunctional therapists and talk about laser phrenectomies, but it, it's, I don't think it's the right thing to do just to dismiss it either. I mean, there are children with major sleep issues and then they're getting pegged with behavioral issues. They're getting diagnosed with ADHD. They're being put on medications and really it's a sleep disorder. Um, and so as a parent, what do you do? Well, it's just being aware and doing everything you can to prevent it through good nutrition, good diet, um, how, you know, airway monitoring your child, but at the end of the day, there is some genetic component too, of course. And so being an advocate for your child is really important and finding providers that support you and listen to you, you know, every pediatrician out there is different and every ear, nose and throat doctor out there is different and, and pediatric dentist. And so trying to find an airway focused dentist, someone that's trained in oral ties, trying to find a pediatric uh, pediatrician that, that agrees that these airway issues and mouth breathing and snoring, they're common, but they're not normal. Um, just because so many kids have these, it doesn't mean it's, it's healthy. Um, and I will tell you too, kids who mouth breathe, they get much, they get way more cavities. So a lot of these families are doing everything right. They're flossing, they're brushing, the kids are eating pretty clean, they're hydrated, um, but they're mouth breathers. And so they keep getting cavities and the parents get so frustrated and it takes a while, but we figure out, okay, it's because they're breathing through their mouth all night. Their mouth is acidic all night. Their mouth is dry all night. And until you get that under control, they're going to keep having dental issues. But then the long-term effects into adulthood are, you know, more advanced sleep disorder breathing, sleep apnea. And then that has a slew of effects like cardiovascular disease and um, weight gain, obesity, inflammation, you know, uh, mental health issues. Like sleep is so foundational. So, you know, I think, again, this is a slow movement. I do see a shift. There's more awareness. 
it's something I'm very passionate about. If you're a parent out there listening and saying, this is my, my child, my child mouth breathes, they snore, they grind, they toss and turn all night, they wake up multiple times a night. If they're um, prolonged bedwetting, night terrors, sleepwalking, you know, the kids that like their bed sheets are all wound up and they end up halfway out on the floor. That's atypical. They're, they're not getting into deep restorative sleep and we need to figure out why. Um, I, there's, I keep suggesting you find providers to work with you, but there's a wonderful book. It's called sleep wrecked kids and it's written by Sharon Moore and you can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Um, but I really recommend for parents that are hitting roadblocks or not getting support by their providers to read that book and you will become so knowledgeable and so educated about this. And you really can be a powerful advocate for your child. I love all of that. I haven't heard of that book. I need to add that to my list and get it. Cause that is super interesting to me. It's and that so was me. That was, I was the kid that was like wrapped up in the sheets and like on the floor when I woke up, um, because I am a mouth breather and I've had to, like, I'm working on going through myofunctional therapy and figuring out if I should get my tie released. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's a big process and it's not too late ever to start exactly. addressing it. I'm getting my tie released next month. Oh, I'm going to, are you going to post about it? I will when I follow along. I'm getting my tonsils out too. Oh it's man. Intense. Oh, and man. People keep, I keep getting messages. Oh my gosh, don't do that. They're part of your immune system. I've, I've, I know <laughs> they're really bothering me. I'm in my forties. I've thought about this a lot. It's time. My body's telling me, but yeah. So because of that, and I'm going to be under anesthesia. So I'm like, well, we might as well go for the tie too. Yeah. Uh, Cause I have a posterior tongue tie. So I've been working with my functional therapy too. So I will share my journey with you. Yeah, I'm excited to follow yeah. along. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay. So I am wondering what your thoughts on just like how parents can get started with basic oral care and oral hygiene for their kids. Cause that's a common question is like, well, when do I start brushing my child, yeah. my baby's teeth and how do I brush it when they're like a baby? Right. And then also when they should start going to a dentist because I've heard so many different answers on this. Like I've heard dentists say as soon as they get their first teeth, but then like our current dentist says, really, it's not appropriate until like three or four, unless there's something going on. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about all of that. Yeah. Okay. I have strong opinions about all of these things. Okay. So first of all, brushing teeth, um, it can be totally overwhelming, but I will tell you the sooner you get into a routine, I promise you the better off your life's going to be. Um, I do recommend oral hygiene as soon as you are emotionally ready as a parent. Um, certainly once the teeth come in, I, if, as soon as a tooth erupts into the mouth, it can get a cavity. That it's, it's that simple because now you have um, a object in the mouth that pathogenic bacteria can adhere to and metabolize fermentable carbohydrates and release acid and and cause demineralization in a cavity. So around six months old is usually when the first teeth erupt. I love parents to start an oral hygiene routine. Now you can even start before them. So they make little finger wipes, little face cloths or xylitol wipes. There are some Jack and Jill is a brand and there's another brand, Spiffy's. A lot of this is just desensitizing your child to having things done in their mouth to them. Um, But once teeth come in, for sure, you can, again, just use a little cloth. You can use a xylitol wipe, or they have those little finger silicone brushes. And here is a hack that I used with both my girls, and it works for so many parents. But 
put the toothbrush, toothpaste, flossers, all of that stuff right at the changing table. Right in the top drawer of the changing table, your, your baby or child's laid back and just make it part of the morning diaper change and the right before bed diaper change. It's like streamline it. It doesn't have to be in the bathroom. And plus, I really love parents laying children back to brush and floss and do all of these oral hygiene things because you can see into their mouth better. If you're doing it blindly, you're more likely to not be thorough. You're more likely to actually poke their cheek, the floor of the mouth, like cause discomfort. And then that creates a negative association. Plus you're like looking down into your baby's eyes. It can be like a bonding opportunity, sing songs, play games. I used to chase animals around my daughter's mouths. Like there's a elephant, let's get his tusk. There's a tiger, he's hiding over here. There's a monkey under your tongue. It's the art of distraction. Um, and I believe in quality over quantity. So like, I, you know, this whole two minute thing that is for adult dentition. Um, I used to sing once my girls had most all of their baby teeth and we would sing ABCs once. Um, you can have a dance party. When your kids are more like toddlers, you can do reward charts. Um, but my girls are six and eight and I still do their oral hygiene in the bedroom and I still lay them down. I still lay them on their bed um, or on a bean bag. I just, there's a reason dentists lay patients back. It's so you can see what you're doing. And then also, if you can see into your child's mouth, you can keep tabs on what's going on. Um, you'd be surprised. Some kids come in with these huge cavities in their mouth that have been there likely for years. And the parents have no idea because they've never looked in their child's mouth. And if you're not looking in there, you have no idea what's going on. So you really need to be like a little dentist at home. Get out the headlamp. Don't be afraid to move your fingers around, move, you know, move their lips around. I do have some videos on my Instagram platform of me showing how to brush and floss. Um, but so, you know, start brushing as soon as teeth erupt. My next emphasis is flossing and not to overwhelm families, but man, flossing is so important. Most cavities we see are in between the back molars. So children get their back molars completely, usually between two and two and a half years old. So around two, two and a half, I want flossing to really become a non-negotiable. It's not only that you're getting food out from between the teeth, but you're removing the, the pathogenic bacteria, the biofilm. You're just removing it so it isn't sitting there for hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks. You've got to get it off. And the unfortunate thing is that biofilm, that plaque, it comes back shortly thereafter. So it's something you have to do every day. Um, but again, I like those little floss sticks. And so two, two and a half, try that, lay your kids back. You'll be able to see. And again, I have videos, um, but you know, just try to make it fun. You know, many kids don't like their hair wash. They don't like their face wipe. They don't like their ears checked, but we still do it. They don't like to be in their car seat with their seatbelt on, but we still do it. So that is how I feel about oral hygiene. It doesn't mean it needs to be aggressive. It doesn't mean you have to be pinning your kids down aggressively. It's kind of that it's a dance. It's an art form. You know, you want to get it done, but find that balance. And I will say, I've never met any adults that remember their parents brushing their teeth. I don't. No one does. I do remember, I, I have met many, many adults who are terrified of the dentist uh, because of getting cavities fixed. 
So, you know, just try to let that sit with you when you're brushing your child's teeth and they don't like it. It's just sort of invasion of their personal space, but do the best you can trying to make it fun, quick, and then reward after high five, positive reinforcement, you're on with the rest of your day. Now, about when to see the dentist, it is absolutely too late to bring your child at three or four years old. Now, if you've done it, it's okay. Go see your dentist right now. But I see cavities in children as early as one-year-old. Like we have to put children under anesthesia as young as one-year-old. So the national, actually, sorry, the international recommendation is to bring your kids in around the age of one. So again, don't panic mama or data if you're out there and you're like, oh my gosh, I have a three-year-old, we haven't been, but just go now because the sooner we can catch issues, the sooner we can maybe heal or arrest cavities, which you can do. We also are looking for ties and we're also looking for how is the child breathing. We wanna talk to you about food introduction and about flossing, like there's a lot of education that if we, the earlier we start, the more easily we can course correct. So me personally, I like to see babies. I see babies without any teeth, but I'm looking for ties. I'm looking for airway issues and jaw development issues. But I, I definitely would say around the age of one should be your goal. And if you haven't been yet and you have an older child, I would call and just make an appointment. Just, just go for it. It's better to know what's happening sooner than later. That is all really good information. Now I'm um, going to have to change my whole bedtime oral hygiene routine with my kids. And um, yeah, that's super interesting. Okay. I really want to talk about fluoride. Yeah. Can you share your thoughts about fluoride, which I know can be kind of a controversial topic these days? It's very controversial. Um, I really like to make recommendations based on latest research and often research and medical guidelines don't line up. There's actually research to say it can take up to 20 years for medical guidelines to get updated after new research has come out. So over the past few years, especially, there has been a lot of discussion and research going into systemic fluoride and how it acts as a neurotoxin in the brain of infants and young children and toddlers. And there's actually over 70 studies that are raising uh, concerns about this. There's, there's a federal lawsuit right now in San Francisco, um, the people versus the EPA, and this is exactly what they're discussing. And they have expert witnesses and um, uh, scientists, epidemiologists, neuroscientists that are making statements, testimonies, giving expert opinions on how they feel about water fluoridation specifically. The judge has not made his ruling yet, but I've become obsessed with it. I mean, I'm reading, I've read all the research studies multiple times. Um, most of the research is high quality research. It really is. And from very prestigious um, research institutes. And the I've read the testimonies and the declarations from these experts, and it's very concerning. Um, specifically, high amounts of systemic fluoride. And that's the counter argument is 
well, what is high? Like how, how are we exposed to high doses? But the issue is with fluoride, especially water fluoridation is you can't control the dose. So you might drink a cup of water a day and then a young child might drink eight glasses a day. You know, their body weight, it, they're getting much more fluoride than they need per body weight than you would. Okay, so how are we controlling their dose? And on top of that, dentists are recommending fluoride toothpaste and fluoride rinses and varnishes. And fluoride's also found in foods naturally like grapes and raisins. Um, and processed foods and certainly a lot of um, packaged drinks and things too. And now you're cooking with it, you're boiling your pasta in it, you're making your soups with it. How are we titrating all this fluoride exposure with these kids? And they are finding that um, systemic fluoride is, is causing IQ issues and neurodevelopmental issues in infants and young children, specifically from formula and actually from in utero within during pregnancy too. So for me as a provider who cares for children, that is enough for me to just pause. Um, and I want to know the research and reevaluate everything before I keep making these recommendations and just saying fluoride is completely benign, which it's not, it is considered a neurotoxin. Um, and again, the counter argument is yes, but in what dose and what concentration, but you know, brain development far outweighs a cavity in a baby tooth for me any day of the week. I can fix a cavity in a tooth. I cannot fix the development of, the, of a brain of a child. Um, and the dentists are all saying, but it, but it works. It remineralizes teeth. It does. I'm, that's not the point. And that's why this judge, has, uh, Judge Chen is his name, he said from the beginning, I don't want to hear from the dental community. I know that you guys love fluoride. I get it. You say it makes teeth stronger. You say it prevents cavities. That's fine. I want to know what is it doing systemically to our children. Um, and that's why this is a very monumental case. And so we'll see what the judge, how he decides. Um, he's made some statements that do indicate uh, it's not looking very good for water fluoridation. Um, you know, 97% of the world is not fluoridated. You, the United States is one of the last countries, many other countries have removed it from their water, not only for concerns with neurotoxicity, but also just medical ethical issues. Like basically it's, it's like medicating patients without their consent. Um, and so again, to me, fluoride, it's, it's a band-aid approach really. You know, I understand the, there's a public health benefit to it, but truly, we don't get cavities from lack of fluoride. Humans are not fluoride deficient. We don't need fluoride in the human body. We didn't used to have it ancestrally. Why are we getting cavities now so much? It's because of our food. It's because of what we're eating. We're eating ultra processed foods. We're snacking on crackers all day. And also we're not breathing properly. There's a lot of mouth breathers out there. There's a lot of sleep disorder breathing out there. Those are the root causes. It's not lack of fluoride. And now there's an, a better, cleaner product, um, hydroxyapatite, which is a mineral. It's what's in your enamel already. It's 97% hydroxyapatite. Your bone is made of 60% hydroxyapatite. So it's a mineral now that is in many toothpaste. It's becoming more and more popularized, which I'm very happy about. It is safe to swallow. Um, there are no systemic 
issues, there's no concern with neurotoxic effects too. So I tend to be very conservative with my fluoride recommendations. If a patient is extremely high risk and I do not feel like the family is going to make changes, um, I will recommend topical fluoride toothpaste, but it is very rare that I make that anymore now that we have hydroxyapatite. And um, I just think I, I, I suggest parents make dis informed decisions on their own. Um, you can go to the Fluoride Action Network and you can read those 74 studies and make a decision for yourself and for your family. And um, know that some dentists may give you a little attitude about it. And I really believe this. If that is the situation, I just think you should find a new provider mm -hmm. because I, I, there's nothing else in medicine or dentistry I can think of that is kind of forced upon people as much as fluoride. I just, I've never, you know, you don't go to the doctor and they don't, they don't um, hound you about taking vitamin D. You know, we all need to, we all probably should be taking vitamin D. We're a lot, many of us are vitamin D deficient. You know, you don't know till you test, but you don't, you just don't get hounded about it. Like it's just, it's become kind of this dogma. Um, and I just feel like we should pause and reassess it based on the latest research. And that may mean we need to change our guidelines, but I just care so much about children and their brain development that I just have a lot of concerns about it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I love hydroxyapatite. We've been using that for a couple of years. Um, I was going to ask you before you said this, but I was going to ask you if you have any tips for um, communicating with dental providers who do give you a hard time or an attitude when you decline fluoride, because that was always my challenge. I've been declining fluoride for years since I've learned more about it. And um, we weren't fortunate enough to find like a functional dentist in our area before we moved. And all of the dentists I had been to always acted like I was an idiot when I declined fluoride. And I just like, didn't even want to go to the dentist because I know that I probably knew more about fluoride than they did, um, in terms of like the, the safety concerns. And you I do. don't really like being condescended to when I know I've done my research. I want to apologize on behalf of my colleagues. I, I, I have no answer for it. I really don't. So I can only speak from my personal experience. I left dental school thinking fluoride was the bee's knees because that is what we were taught. I mean, it was just drilled into you and you never question it. And I'll be honest, they don't, you're not reading the research about fluoride. They just, you just learn fluoride is recommended to everyone, recommended to everyone, you know, toothpaste, topical, systemic. And you just go through dental school thinking this way. And then there are some really progressive students, I think that question that. I was not one of them. It took me a few years outside of my career to question it. And the reason I questioned it was because I saw patients coming in that were, were using fluoride and they were drinking fluoridated water and they still had cavities. So it's, it's not a match for the modern diet. It just isn't. Um, it may be helped at one point in time, but we are, we are eating foods now that just can't compete with fluoride. And so really the education needs to be going into how we're eating, how we're breathing, you know, changing the food system. And that's a big undertaking. I understand it, but that's really where I wish we put more of our energy. So mm -hmm. how to speak to a dentist about it? I mean, it shouldn't be that hard. I think being confident 
um, try not to be aggressive, which can be hard when you feel like you're being attacked, you know, um, just saying politely, oh, no, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll pass on the fluoride today and just leave it at that. And if they say, well, why just say, you know, my child has no cavities or we're low risk, or we use hydroxyapatite. Um, we're just not interested today. You know, again, if you keep getting harassed about it, I don't feel like that's a good fit. We should be, we should be working as a team. You know, right. my role as a dentist is not to tell you what to do, that no one likes to be told what to do. My role is to be an educator, to be a teacher, and to be uh, on, on a team member and a guide. I'm a guide. I'm a health guide. But ultimately, it's the patient's choice. I mean, that's consent, right? It's a patient's choice. You give the education and they can choose, they can accept it or no. But the other thing I think that's happening is we're just blanketly telling everyone they need fluoride. You know, you get fluoride, you get fluoride, you get fluoride. But we're supposed to be doing a cavity risk assessment on every patient. And we, we're supposed to be saying if a patient's low, medium, or high risk. And so if a child comes in, no history of decay, never has had cavities, they're low risk. I mean, why are we pushing fluoride on them? I, I don't understand. Um, I personally haven't used fluoride since my teen years, I, even though it was taught in dental school, I never used it because I just always kind of had cleaner products, including my shampoo and my deodorant and all of that. Like I went down that um, rabbit hole early uh, and I haven't had cavities since I was really young. So what, what is it? And my girls have never used fluoride and their teeth are gorgeous. So what is it? you know, people will say, oh, you just have good genetics. Well, no, it's, it's really how we're eating. It's our hygiene and how we're breathing. That's in, in hydration and all of those things. That's really what it boils down to. Your genetics is a part of your destiny, but just like epigenetics, you have control over that in, in either way, whether towards health or illness. Um, so it's not genetics. It's, it's, it's much more than that. And it's, it, it comes down to the oral microbiome that we have healthy oral microbiomes. Yeah. Okay. So this last question, I know we're running out of time. I know we probably don't have enough time to really dive into it. Um, but I'm wondering if you could just talk for a couple minutes about the whole nursing breastfeeding at night causes yeah. cavities conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is another one that really bums me out. Um, I get a lot of moms in my office, second, third opinions, and they've been shamed. Um, and they, they're they really upset. I mean, they're crying and very emotional and, and carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and have a lot of guilt. And that really upsets me. Um, <laughs> we, as moms, we have enough on our plates. And at the end of the day, we're just all trying to take the best care for our babies as possible. Mm -hmm. So breast milk by itself is not going to cause cavities. It, that has been very solidified in the research. Um, it's, it's really, again, oral microbiome imbalances. So Yes, do we see an uptick in nursing cavities when babies are being, you know, fed on demand throughout the night co-sleeping? Yes, but how come it's in some babies and not other babies when the moms are doing the exact same thing? This is the oral microbiome. 
So it's not the breast milk, it's other things going on. And that's what's hard to unpack. So we don't generally see cavities on teeth until food has been introduced. And so if some of the first foods we're introducing to children are, you know, those little rice puffs and those crackers and um, cereals and basically fermentable carbohydrates. And this is where that baby led weaning movement has come in is instead of offering these packaged, you know, marketed baby first baby foods, offer your children real food, mashed avocado, mashed sweet potato, you know, banana, and you just kind of build from there. So if you are, if your child's eating a lot of car fermentable carbohydrates, these packaged foods and hygiene is mediocre, you know, which at that point it can be because we're just overwhelmed and we're just trying to get through and get our babies to sleep and, you know, oral hygiene is a whole new thing. So those remnants of the food particles can be left on the teeth that creates plaque the pathogenic bacteria have a field day. Now you're introducing breast milk throughout the night, which is a sugar substrate essentially. And if your child's, you know, feeding throughout the night, not on a schedule, and then you're waking up in the morning and you're not brushing the teeth very well again, and then maybe your child's falling off the breast and their mouth's open and their mouth breathing, and maybe they have a lip tie. And so the milk's pooling under there. I mean, not always, it's not always a lip tie, but I'm just saying there's a lot of things at play here that it's much more than just the breast milk. The other thing we're seeing, um, and I'm seeing this anecdotally clinically, uh, more and more, I mean, it's really overwhelming, is hypoplastic enamel or under-mineralized enamel. And that is when the baby's teeth, from the moment they come in, they just come in mottled and chalky and essentially the enamel hasn't mineralized ideally. And so they're not as strong and they're much more susceptible to acid attacks. We don't fully understand why we're seeing an uptick in this. The theories are maternal depletion, um, uh, micronutrient deficiencies, mineral deficiencies, um, moms are exhausted. You know, I, that's a whole other topic. Like we've lost our tribe, women are working and we're doing all these things. We're not really nourishing ourselves. So that affects dental development. And so you have this tooth that comes in with weaker enamel and now we're not brushing very well and there's crackers left on the teeth. And then your child's feeding throughout the night and they're not on a schedule and they're mouth breathing and you're not brushing the next morning, it's a perfect storm. So you will have a lot of dentists, I think they immediately say, they start seeing decay on the teeth or demineralization. And then they just say, you did this mom and you need to stop breastfeeding right now. That is such a shocking blow to that mama sitting there. It's just, it's not fair. And it's not educating about really what's going on. And again, to simplify, what are they missing? The oral microbiome. It's not the breast milk. It's that the, there's a dysbiosis in the mouth. There is more pathogenic bacteria in the mouth for whatever reasons, because of what we're eating, because of our hygiene, because of our mouth breathing. Um, and now we have maybe a more susceptible tooth because the enamel's not as strong. So, you know, if, if your child is higher risk, I think it is a good idea to try to get more on a feeding schedule. 
making sure that when the baby goes to bed, the teeth are very clean. When they wake up, we brush with hydroxyapatite toothpaste. You know, um, you can do xylitol wipes in the middle of the night. And if your child's teeth are hypoplastic or undermineralized, you may want to think about um, weaning or like, what does that look like for you? But, but the biggest thing is that is not up to the dentist. That is up to the parent. That's up to the mom. And I think we should just be here to support moms and give them uh, the tools to fully understand what's happening in their child's mouth. But it's, it's not the breast milk by itself. And I just want moms to know that because there's so much guilt around that. And when really this is supposed to be a beautiful bonding experience and we're nurturing our babies. Um, and so again, if you have a dentist that is really rude to you about this or shames you, or you leave the office crying, that is not a good fit. That is not a, that is not a team member on your healthcare team. You should find someone that supports you and they may still suggest that you switch some of your breastfeeding routine, but they need to do it with compassion and education and not with shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's like, well, if we do, if you do just say don't breastfeed or you need to wean, then like you said, you're not addressing the actual issue. So then it doesn't even necessarily mean that there are going to be less cavities. There still could be cavities because there are all of these other issues going on. So it's just a band-aid. Um, to a a larger, more complex issue. Yeah. Yeah. You're not changing long-term habits. So, so you get rid of the breast milk, but if we haven't changed the diet or the hygiene or how the child's breathing, you're absolutely right. We're just kicking the can. So down the road, the child's probably still going to be a high cavity risk because of all these other issues, you know, because now instead of breast milk, it's going to be goldfish crackers that are going to be what's causing the problem. So it's just, we're missing a huge educational opportunity. And I don't think we're not going to create a global health movement by shaming patients. That's just not going to be successful. Um, and it's, Yeah. I just think we all could be doing a better job supporting our patients with just a little more love and compassion. Yeah. And then I would also add, you know, a lot of parents then totally wean because they don't know how to just night wean, or they're just like, I shouldn't, you know, I have a toddler, so maybe I really shouldn't be nursing them at all. And then, you know, there's nothing wrong with weaning a toddler if that's what you want to do, but if that's not what you wanted to do and you maybe wanted to continue long-term, what are the negative impacts of now you're weaning earlier than you wanted to, your child isn't getting that, um, nourishing, And just, I mean, it's just breast milk is amazing, even for toddlers. So it's just like, there's a lot of negatives to this that I think aren't being considered by so many dentists, a lot of negative implications. I agree with you. So that, yeah, so this is the same thing with fluoride. We're just think we're very, we're thinking very micro, micro level tooth. All we're thinking about is teeth, 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 teeth. There's a lot more going on. So, okay, great. Fluoride helps the tooth be more acid resistant. Cool. What is it doing to the rest of the patient and the child? Like that's really important. It's the same with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So breastfeeding helps jaw development. It helps 
swallow pattern. It helps tongue posture and tone. Um, it helps with facial development. It, ha it helps create your oral, your oral and gut microbiome. It helps with your immune response. Um, it helps reduce asthma. It helps with future obesity risks. There's some IQ implications with children who are breastfed. So like big picture, there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful benefits to breast milk. So to quickly dismiss it just because of teeth, I mean, risk benefits, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not trying to dismiss dental decay. It's very important, but it's not all that's important. There's a lot more right. going on in the human body and that's the disconnect. And unfortunately, dentistry went this way, medicine went this way, and even the providers think that way. And so dentists mm -hmm. very much, they just look in the mouth. They're Everything not- Everything is so compartmentalized. They're compartmentalized and we're not looking- at our patients as an entity. I mean, you see all these ulcerations in the mouth, right? You put them on this like prescription rinse to help, but you never think, well, I wonder why they have all these oral ulcerations. Is it a nutrient deficiency? Is it an allergy? Do they have gut issues? Is there Crohn's disease? Is there, you know, irritable bowel is or gluten sensitivity, you know, it's all interconnected. So, mm -hmm. um, it will take a paradigm shift, but I do agree with you. I think it's happening slowly. Um, and the whole mantra I have in goal is like, get the mouth back into the body. Um, yeah. it is not separate. It is part of our body and, you know, it's very connected to many other systems. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stacey. This has been so informative. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, could you tell everybody where they can find you? And if you do have any resources for, for people where they can find those? Yes. Well, I'm mostly on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Stacy. That's D-O-C-T-O-R underscore S-T-A-C-I. I did just start a TikTok account. Uh, so bear with me. It's an educational account. I'm not going to be dancing. <laughs> and doing all that. Um, and it's been a bit of a learning curve. It's a very different platform than Instagram, but I am nice. there. Um, I, my office in Portland, we see people from all over the United States and actually in many other countries, they will come to see us. It's called NOPO Kids Dentistry. It stands for North Portland. It's N-O-P-O -O, Kids Dentistry. Um, I have a lot of resources on my website. Um, I do have actually some courses coming out soon. So follow me on Instagram or TikTok for more about that. But I have little mini courses for busy moms and dads to watch, to learn more about this and to, you know, deep dive into some of these topics. And I actually, um, I have a book that's coming out, uh, I hope this year, but it might be next year. That's amazing. It sounds like you're really busy <laughs> on everything. <laughs> Well, thank you. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Stacey. I learned a lot from you. Thank you, Taylor. It's been a pleasure. And um, I really try to answer all my DMs on Instagram. So if anyone has any questions, they can hit me up there and I'll do my best to get back to you. Amazing. Many of y'all know that I'm really passionate about non-toxic living. And one of the things that I decided was important for our family to make the change to, the transition to, was the, the products that we're sleeping on. So our mattresses, our bed sheets, et cetera, because we spend so much time in our sleep space during the day that I want to make sure we're not laying on harmful chemicals or breathing in harmful chemicals. So I have found the best, most comfortable bed sheets, simply organic bamboo sheets. They are eco-friendly, 100 
100% organic bamboo sheets. They are designed for comfort and breathability. So they're heavier than your typical cotton sheets, but they don't feel hot. They're actually really cool. So they're good for all seasons. They're also antibacterial and hypoallergenic, totally natural and non-toxic, and they are so soft and so luxurious. They're so silky smooth. I love them. Whenever I am traveling or I just for whatever reason don't have my bamboo sheets on the bed, I miss them so much because they are seriously so comfortable. And you can save 25% off. So visit simplyorganicbamboo.com slash Taylor and use the code Taylor to save 25% off your purchase, making these an amazing deal. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.